Then I need to make a, like a state of the church address, like a kind of a declaration of where we are, where we're headed, um, and it seems kind of fitting, though, that, he, that we're, I'm going to talk about being a church of, made up of imperfect people, uh, which we've established since day one that we were going to be. And then all of a sudden, our, our sound stuff goes haywire. Right? Here's, what's, here's what's interesting. It's my fault. Because everything was good, and then I got up and did announcements, and then nothing changed. Everything just went crazy, so you can blame that on me. Um, I feel like we're sitting as Restore Church on the horizon of something really awesome. There's a scene in the Old Testament where Joshua is sitting on the banks of the Jordan River about to cross into the promised land, the land that was promised all the way since Genesis chapter 12. And the ex- excitement mixed with hope and a tad bit of anxiety uh, all mixed into one. So next week, Restore Church celebrates our second birthday. And I got to tell you, at the current moment, uh, everything is really good. Restore Church, uh, I, I, I want to I make you feel a little bit comfortable, but not too comfortable, right? Okay, we, we don't ever want to be too comfortable. One of the prayers that we will pray, which I think I'm going to stop praying, is that God would continue to confuse us. I'm about done with that prayer because God is faithful. <laughs> Um, but that God would continue just to push us to trust him. And so that's what I'm going to challenge you to do. At our current moment, Restore Church has the best financial plan that we've had since the beginning. Right now, Restore Church is sitting in our best, uh, in our most healthy moment that we've been in our finances since we've started. That's great news. We're at a point where we're almost 45% self-sufficient, Churches usually try, new churches try to be completely on their own by their fifth year, and we're almost halfway there, and we're almost to our second birthday. Hey, I want to tell you, keep being generous. Please keep being generous. We wrapped up our giving series last week, but because you're generous, we're able to give to the school. We're able to give to Onslow Community Outreach. We're able to uh, love our community. This past week, uh, a group of us went to Exponential, which is the largest church planting conference in the world. It's the largest church, it's the largest gathering of church planters um, in one spot, in one space. And um, man, it, it was just really a, a good time to rest. But really, man, God just, just got me a little bit more fired up about where we're going. So our finances are the most healthy they've been. Our staff is operating in the most unity that we've had since we've launched. We are, we're trying and striving to work into one accord. We're trying to step uh, with each other, step in step, speaking the same language, loving each other, encouraging each other, and occasionally our staff will rebuke me. <laughs> our attendance is the highest it's ever been, and that matters. It's not the only thing that matters, but it matters. Uh, that means people are inviting people to church. That means you are invested in what God's doing here, and you're inviting people to church. And this morning, we couldn't be more thankful to God for all that he's done in almost two years. 
Some of the faces have changed. Some of the names have changed. But God's faithfulness does not. I just want to tell you all of that because I want you to be as excited about Restore and what God's doing here as I am. Um, I don't want you to be as stressed as I am. But I want you to be as excited, <laughs> as excited as I am. And I, I want you to leave here today pumped up about not just this church, but God's church. And I hope that over this coming week. So let me say this again. Don't show up here next week. If you do, it'll be obvious. And then you can just drive. It's only like 10 minutes away. You'll get here. No one's going to be in the parking lot. And then it'll take you, I don't know, seven minutes to get to Clyde Irwin. And that's good because our services start at 10. And then you'll get in at like 10.10 with everybody else. So it'll be perfect. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit convict how he may. Um, but man, I, I just, I, I want you to pray this week harder than you've ever prayed for Restore. Maybe invest like you haven't invested before. Um, and then Thursday night, would you come to our vision night? Uh, be a part of that. Um, we're going to set up, we're going to set up our worship space exactly like we anticipated to look like. Um, but we're just going to worship God for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about where God's going to go. But here's the thing, man. Uh, we're ready. We might not have all the logistics ready. Like, there's a little things. I was telling a couple of ladies in the foyer, there's something we've had to miss. And we're, I don't know what it is, but it's just like this looming thing. Like, you've missed something. But, dude, we're pumped. Like, we're ready. And I hope you are, too. I hope you're ready to kick hell in the teeth. Uh, we've been doing it since, since day one. We've been challenging Satan and saying, uh, look, we're going to wage war against Satan in Jacksonville. We're not going to back down. And we have been kicking hell in the teeth since day one. And I hope you are too. And in a little bit, I'm going to challenge you to kick hell in the teeth. I just want to keep saying kick hell in the teeth. <laughs> but before we go into this uh, next season of ministry, I want to share something with you. And so here it goes. As your leader, I have doubts. Not doubts about the move into Clyde Irwin or not doubts in God's church. But occasionally I, I doubt myself. I doubt myself as the leader of your church, the, your leader. Sometimes I, I doubt myself even as a follower of Jesus. How about you? I mean, I, I have doubts sometimes of, of my own faith or if I even have enough faith. Do I pray enough? Do I read scripture enough? Do I worship God privately enough or publicly enough? Do I do enough? Sometimes I wonder, uh, one of the speakers brought this up, and I was like, dude, I feel you. Uh, he brought this up. He said, um, sometimes I wonder if, if my church knew what was going on in my own head, if they would still allow me to preach every week. I have those kind of doubts. I mean, if you knew what I thought all the time or, uh, you know, even, even my, my sins of my past, you wouldn't follow me as your leader. You wouldn't follow me into the hallway. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to say the words that, that Paul says sometimes when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There are some people who aren't in seats here this morning because they feel like I haven't reached out to them enough or I don't follow up with them enough or uh, I'm not around them enough. Enough. This week at the... Um, 
at this conference in Florida. Uh, and you guys know church planters are my heroes, so I'm sitting around 5,000 of my heroes and their staff and their spouses, and I'm, I'm watching heroes in the faith preach like Francis Chan and, and Albert Tate and probably my favorite, Joby Martin, because he's just as redneck as they come, and he let us have it. But um, we, we rallied around this theme, and the theme all week was made for more. And uh, it's great. I mean, every time that a church planning conference has a theme, you start to think about it, start to get ready for it. But uh, it wasn't until later in the, in the conference that one of the guys really struck a chord with me. And he said, man, all of us up here, we lead churches of thousands. And we're telling you more, 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 more. And you're sitting in your seat saying, I don't know about more because I'm not even enough. And I was like, oh, shoot, <laughs> you get me. Here, look, I, I think I'm probably not the only one in this room. I'm, I'm sure that, that as you think about your relationship with your spouse, you sometimes wonder, am I enough? I think I, I'm, I'm confident that some of you, and because I've heard you say these words, that when you think about your relationship with Christ and you think about your relationship with God, you think, am I enough? Have I done enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I worshiping enough? Am I telling enough people about Jesus? And as, as maybe you, you're sitting there thinking that I'm talking only to you this morning, I, you're not the only one in the room. And so I think it would, it would really do us good this morning to, to look and see what does Jesus, what does God think about this about the church or about his church if you need a bible would you raise your hand we've got some on the end of each row uh, some volunteers i'll pass one out to you if you've got your own bible uh, you want to find matthew chapter 16 uh, maybe you want to follow along on the restore church app or the U version app we have stopped putting all the verses up on here um, because we want you to look at it and see it i think you've heard me talk a little bit about my childhood church my parents divorced when I was probably seven, eight, or nine. I don't really remember uh, the exact age. But they, um, they divorced. It was time, really, for one of the two to start to go back to church. And my dad really, really stepped forward first. My grandfather was a preacher, so it was really natural for him. So he started taking us to church, and we started going pretty regularly. My dad volunteered one morning because the children's minister got sick. And my dad was, and if he would do it again, is the best children's minister besides Kendra ever. I mean, he was incredible. He still can connect with children like no one else, and he's 47, 48 years old. I mean, he is incredible. So we started going to church regularly. He was a volunteer. Check this out. A volunteer grew the children's ministry from 10 to 40. They had to grow. They, it was like almost a quarter of the size of the actual church. They had to out, they had to knock down a couple walls and move the children's ministry from this corner room upstairs and it took up the biggest room in the church. I'm still really proud of my dad for doing all of that. But here's what I hated about church was the expectations of us. Now, there are some expectations on a pastor's family that are unfair. Okay, I'm, I'll just put that out there. There are some expectations on, on not us now but then to be perfect, to present as we were something we weren't. But here's what was crazy about the church I was involved in, or that my dad was starting to serve in, and then he, 
he officially got hired on, so the expectations became even more, is that we would be perfect. Because when we came to church on a Sunday morning, the people we talked to, the people we interacted with, the people that we called friends, they were perfect, y'all. I mean, like, they looked perfect. They talked perfectly. Uh, they, they were just, nothing was going wrong in their life. Hey, how you doing, man? I man, I, I couldn't do any better. If, if, I, if I were, you know, I'm just so blessed. I'm, I'm blessed, too blessed to be stressed. And that was before hashtags. So, you know, you can see the, the church we were in. Here's what I knew. My family was not that. And so I expected these people at church on Sunday morning to present like they were really. And so I thought that when they left church that this is how they were all the time. And we were not that. So here's the thing. We didn't belong here. Or at least I didn't belong here. I don't know if you've picked this up from me or not after almost two years. I'm not one to pretend and uh, for better or worse, sometimes you're like, would you please just pretend one time? For better or worse, we, um, here at Restore, we keep it 100. We're going to go in our next series, um, in our next series, starting next Sunday, we're going to talk about, the series called My Name Is, and we're going to preach through our core values here at Restore Church. And one of them is authenticity, and I think that one comes through the most. And so when I was in this church, I just didn't belong here. I was not perfect. I didn't want to be perfect. And I didn't want to hang out with these perfect people. And I didn't want to have to pretend like I was perfect to hang out with them. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of y'all, that's been your experience with church. I can guarantee you that that's not true here. But maybe it's not the perfection that keeps you from not feeling like you belong. Maybe it's your parenting style. You think your kids are too out of control. Listen, that doesn't exist. <laughs> you belong here. Maybe it's your past that keeps you away from church, or maybe it feels like you, it, it, maybe your past is what has you cringing or twisting around your seat because you're really uncomfortable right now. You belong here. Maybe it's the amount of debt that you have, and so you just try to keep up so you can keep up with everybody else here. Look, there is no keeping up here. You belong here. Maybe it's your career or lack thereof. You belong here. Maybe it's your, your health and your inability to take care of it or your, your, um, your lack of willpower. Maybe you just can't keep control of it and you think maybe you'll be a burden here. Look, we love you. You belong here. Maybe it's your relationships, your lack of, or your multiple ones. Look, you belong here. Those things don't, those things don't rule you out of church. They're actually the prerequisites that allow you in here. It's because you're not perfect. You know, sometimes I think about a holy God who is perfect and uh, I don't know if you've been around church or if you do a lot of if you do any Christian reading, you know the name Francis Chan. If you don't, go home and Google him, YouTube, something. Read Francis Chan, and he was the first preacher at this conference. Okay, and my man spent thirty minutes almost crying and passionately pleading to us to have reverence for a holy God who is perfect. And you can watch Francis Chan like this. If you ever watch the video, he does this a lot. He's, he said, man, God is perfect, and we act like the biggest problem. <laughs> All right, you got a bunch of church planters up there or in here, okay, and I'm, I'm one. And he's like, and our biggest problem is that our skinny jeans aren't tight enough. And I was like, hold up, <laughs> hold up. 
It's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is my pants are too tight. That's my issue. <laughs> Sometimes when I think about a holy God and his church, even I as your leader that has all these doubts, think maybe I don't belong. Maybe I don't belong to worship a holy God or in a holy church or a church that worships this guy or this God. Sorry, Francis Chan. I didn't mean to call God guy. All right. Uh, so if you, find, if you found Matthew chapter 16, I want, I want you to follow through with, it, with this. You know that uh, if you've been around Restore Church, this is my favorite passage of, of uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's, it's Jesus talking about the church. And um, I'm going to work quickly through this. Our, our life group recently studied this. My Sunday night life group recently studied this passage. So if you read Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 and 14 with me, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What we need to know here is Matthew, um, is at the beginning of Matthew chapter 16, is that Jesus asks his disciples, so his 12 closest friends, the people he's, he, even, he has invited to follow him, he says, um, who do they say that I am? Now, here's, here's what's critical. There are all kinds of religious people, people who are obeying the rules, and that's the most important thing is for them to obey the rules, is they're following him, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, give us a miracle. Jesus, prove to us who you say that you are. Now, there's this Old Testament figure. So the Bible's broken up into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. New Testament is about Jesus and the church. And the Old Testament is about the birth of God's people from creation until Jesus, okay? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells about this one that is coming. We know that to be the Messiah, Jesus. And they've, they've looked and they've torn through the pages because Jewish people even still now are anticipating the coming of this key figure who one day will restore Israel. And this figure in the Old Testament is known as and called the Son of Man. So when Jesus asks his disciples, he's asking for two reasons, this question. The first question that he asks, or the first reason is he wants them to say, hey, who do these religious people say the Son of Man is? Because then that brings up the second question. What does the Old Testament, their studies say about the Son of Man? He's mentioned all the time in Daniel and in, in, in the book of Zechariah, the Son of Man. But the disciples pick up. I would imagine they kind of know what's coming. He warns the disciples um, what well, these religious teachers at some point are going to teach about him. They're going to say things about Jesus that just at some point aren't true. They're gonna, they're, there are a lot of things um, that, that's going to come into these disciples' ears, a lot of whispers. And it's not any different than now. right? People say a lot of things about Jesus, don't they? There's a lot of things in our society that they say about Jesus. They say he's a good teacher. They say he's a moral guy. Maybe he's worth following, but he's definitely not Messiah. C.S. Lewis says there's three options for who Jesus is. He's either a liar and a very good liar. He studied the Old Testament. He lied enough to have people following him. He's a lunatic, a really sane lunatic, that has all his facts in a row, or he's Lord. 
And at some point, you have to wrestle this question to the ground of who is Jesus? Some of the disciples replied back a few answers. They say, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. Maybe there's another explanation for who the Son of Man is. But then Jesus turns the question back on them. Hey, any teachers or mentors or dads or disciples who are making disciples in here, always notice the power of Jesus when he's, he asks questions. He doesn't always lecture parents. He doesn't always lecture. He asks questions to get his disciples to find the answers on their own. Look at verse 15, chapter 16, verse 15. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? I was not a good student when I was in elementary school or middle school or high school or college. (laughs) And so sometimes I wouldn't have my homework done. And by sometimes, I mean most of the time, I didn't have my homework done. And I would always get this feeling when the teacher would collect the, um, she would collect the, the homework, and it's just like my body temperature would just rise, and I would get real hot, and I would start to sweat a little bit. And everyone who's never turned their homework in knows the feeling I'm talking about. I'd imagine the disciples felt like that when he turned around to them and say, who do you say that I am? Because they were probably like, oh, I haven't read that part. I don't know enough. I don't know yet. Let me figure this out. Let me ask you this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who who do you believe Jesus to be? And if it's not a question you've ever wrestled with, Restore Church is a a great place for you to do that with us. We would love to wrestle that question to the ground for you. This is a great and safe place to do that. But nevertheless, Jesus has been and will remain the most influential key figure in history, whether you call him Lord or not. One single man has changed the the landscape of the world. And so at one point, at some point, you in your life have got to decide who is Jesus to you. It is the most significant question you could ever answer. And it's significant enough that Jesus puts the question to his disciples. So, who does Restore Church believe Jesus to be? Here, let's look at Peter's response in verse 16. Check this out. Simon Peter, who's usually sticking a foot in his mouth, and actually uh, go home and read the rest of chapter 16. So Peter's highlighted here, but every extrovert who ever sticks their foot in their mouth, like me, will know there are moments, very few moments, where you say the right thing at the right time to inspire people, and then moments later you're found with your foot in your mouth, right, and you're trying to pull it out, which is really hard for people who aren't flexible. Verse 16, Peter shows up. He says, uh, says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, Okay, he's answering the Old Testament portion. You are the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah. But then he answers the right now. You are the son of the living God. Man, this this right here, this is it. This is when Peter acknowledges that Christ is the Lord. This is when we can acknowledge that Christ is the Lord, the Messiah, the promised one, the key central piece of history. This right here is what allows us to kick hell in the teeth. It's because Jesus, who is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, where it says that, that, that Jesus or a child from Eve will crush Satan's head and all he'll be able to do is bruise his heel 
has come, he's born, he's living, he's about to go to the cross in just a couple chapters later, and it allows you and I to, I'm going to say it one more time, kick hell in the teeth. Um, but here's, here's the thing, because when we can acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it changes everything. Listen, it changes everything, not just some things. And Jesus is not just a thing to change your character flaws. You feel me? I don't like how angry I am. I'm going to pray about it. No, Jesus flips it all upside down. You're not allowed to follow Jesus and hate people. Stop saying it. It's not funny. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to love people. I, I think actually in 1 John it says that. Like you, have to, you can't love people and hate people. You can't love God and hate people because God is love, right? We are pursuing, Restore Church, we are pursuing Christ and we're pursuing people, even the ones who might hate us back, um, even the ones who steal TVs out of the back of our van. I'm still not over that. If that's you, I'm still glad you're here, kind of. We forgive them, y'all forgive them, Christ forgive them, but God is just also, so let that be. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding, but I need to move on. So Jesus, he comes to this point, and uh, so when someone comes to this point of following Jesus, this is it. I draw a line in the sand. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue people. Now, when he calls Jesus the Messiah... Every Jewish religious elite person is looking for a military leader, like some of y'all, right? He's looking for a militant, overpowering guy, and Jesus isn't it. Instead, Jesus has a mission of love and compassion and care and forgiveness and mercy. And it was a mission that at some point is going to include Jesus' death, but it will also include the power of his resurrection, it's a mission that included everyone, listen, and is for everyone. It's a mission that includes you. So join the mission. But it's a mission that is also for you. So uh, let's wrap up this passage real quick. He, he starts this. This is where it really gets good. Jesus responds to Peter's answer, and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Underline verse 18, if you're an underliner. And it says this, And I tell you that you are Peter. The Greek word is Petros, which means little rock. Um, and, I'm, and on this rock, the word rock is Petros, which means huge rock. So Jesus has a little play on words here. He says, and you are the little rock, Peter, and on this big rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you, loose, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah yet. Look at verse 18 again. Um, 
Verse 18 says, and I will build, and, and I tell you, Peter, that, you, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Look, I, I, we don't have a ton of time to unpack every nuance to this verse, but just suffice it to say that Peter is not the rock that Christ built his church on. Uh, Christ did not and will not build his church on one person. If you ever find yourself in a church where the preacher is more of a celebrity than Jesus is, you need to leave, including this one. Um, Jesus is the only one we worship here. So it's not Peter, unlike some religious movements, all right? Uh, the rock that, that Jesus is building his church on is the statement that Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says, and, my, and the gates of, maybe your, maybe your Bible says Hades, or maybe your translation says hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's the image here. This is the most manly thing ever. Jesus says, "My the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What do you put a fence up for? Maybe to keep your dogs in, but it's to keep people out, right? No, there's no room for political discussion here, but that's what walls are for. That's what gates are for. The gates are for protection. Now, who has the gates up in this passage? It's not the church. The gates of, of hell. Who should be scared? Not the church. Who should be shaking in their stupid little boots? Satan and hell. But there has to be a church that's willing to fight. There's got to be a church that's willing to move in to a neighborhood that's one of the lowest income neighborhoods in Jacksonville and, pre and present the love of Jesus to them. There's got to be a church out there that'll do that. Right? There's got to be a church that will say, we will take on the gates of hell, whether it's with water pistols or hammers. We're coming after the gates of hell. And I'm just going to say, that's us. That's us. Let's roll. Yeah. But here is our, if we're going to war, we need weapons, right? Okay, maybe not, but I would want some weapons if I'm going to war. And here's, here's where Christ's church, and this is what this church stands for. We stand for love. And we lead with love followed by truth. Compassion and mercy, and hope, and truth, and, attendance, uh, and acceptance, and unity, and community, and peace. We, we're going to be a church of second chances. We're going to love people that haven't felt love before. And let me tell you something, hell cannot, cannot stand against those weapons in a church that puts those first. It can offer faint attempts at substitutes, but nothing comes close to the real thing. So there I sat this past week in this auditorium of 5,000, wondering how I can do more if I'm not enough. And the speaker comes out. It's the one speaker who said that. He said, we're talking about more, 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 more. And you're sitting in your chair wondering if you're enough. And this is what he said. Church, listen to this. He says, the way to be more isn't by being enough. It's by committing to being less. 
That it's not, we have to, as followers of Jesus, say it's not about me, it's not about my preferences, it's not about what I want or what I desire or if I get on the stage or if I don't get on the stage. It's not about how many times I've served in a row or how many times I don't serve in a row. What it's about here is Jesus. It's about Jesus here. But it still leaves us with attention that we are a church that is not, that we're a church made of, let's call it like it is, failures. Like, you've sinned, right? No? Okay. Well, I have, and I am not perfect. So it leaves me in this tension of serving a holy God that wants a church to succeed, and I'm not perfect, And the tension is that a church that's full of failures like me, by definition, cannot succeed, right? If we're a bunch of failures together, there's no way we can succeed because, well, we just pile up the failures. There's a student named Paul, and I'm going to try to wrap up quickly. There's a student named Paul in 1 No, not the student named Paul. There is a church planter named Paul. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes this, and maybe you can... um, Maybe you can... uh, um, sympathize here. I'm going to read it off the screen. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And he says, Because of the surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he didn't. And he said to me, My grace is enough for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. Check out verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. If you're an underliner, underline this last part. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The exact reason why you may think you don't belong or can't be a part of Christ's mission is the exact reasons why you should be. The things that you say are ruling you out are the things that should be counting you in. And so, when Jesus instituted the church, hear this, he fully intended for it to be a a community of imperfect people who are discovering God together. I have my doubts I screw up, so do you. And that, that's what makes this thing perfect. That's what makes Christ's church perfect. Can we dream for a minute, just for a second? Uh, I don't want to save this. There are some things that I'm going to want to talk about Thursday, and I kind of want to save as a little teaser, so you should be there Thursday night. But if you'll dream for me just for a second, imagine restore church in the next coming weeks, in the next coming months. Next week, the room's going to look a little bit different. Uh, I cannot tell you how long it took me to get used to preaching in a theater where everyone is above you. It's really hard. My neck hurts at the end of the day. (laughs) Next week, it gets reversed. Again, thank the Lord. No, I'm kidding. Uh, The room's going to look different. Uh, We'll have different sound difficulties. Uh, Children's ministry will look different. It'll be different. Uh, We pray that God's going to fill that room next week with failures, with with people like you and me. 
We're going to hope that he fills that room with frauds, people who feel like they have to pretend to be a Christian. We're going to pray that he fills that room with people who need Jesus just like I do, just like you do. But then there's going to be the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Church is going to start to look different. We hope it does. We hope that our diversity, like, takes off. We hope that our attendance does. So that more people can know about Jesus, not so we can have a larger church. We hope that our neighborhood grows to love Jesus because we've been planted there. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm stoked. I can't wait. Then there's going to, uh, five or six weeks later, Easter's going to come. And then we're going to go to two services. <clears throat> Next week, it's going to be crowded in that room. Just be ready. Stick it out. Love people. Wear deodorant. And a couple weeks later, it's Easter. We're going to go to two services. Here's the thing. We're going to ask you to serve more. We're going to ask you to give more time. Ask you to give more money. We're going to ask you to love Jesus more than what you do now. But you've got to rest in knowing that you are enough first. And so, hey, I wrote some dreams down I had for Restore Church uh, before we launched. So this was two years ago. And these are some dreams I have. They're only dreams that God can accomplish. And I hope they're dreams you can get on board with. Here, here, are, here they are. Restore Church will be a diverse place. A church where barriers of all kinds are crossed. We will transcend the race barrier socioeconomic barrier where rich and poor can worship together. We will cross over the sexual orientation barrier. We will cross the barrier of hate with love. We will be a church for everybody. There will be one year where Restore Church will have more than 50 people who give their life to Jesus. It's just a goal. I, I hope it's too small. But there will be one year where that happens, not because we're the greatest church, but because God is a great Savior. Restore Church will be a church that cares more about others than we do about ourselves. We will give when it doesn't make sense. We will serve when we are tired. We will worship when we are hurting. Restore Church will have life groups everywhere in the city because we feel like there is hurt everywhere in the city. Restore Church will be a place where people are bringing people to Jesus. We've had 49 baptisms since we've launched, so uh, we're really close to 50 baptisms. 23 of those baptisms have, do have been done by y'all. So, so catch that. Almost half the baptisms at Restore Church have been done by fathers and mothers and friends and life group leaders. Only half have been done by the pastor. That rocks. <laughs> that rocks. Here's the last thing. Restore Church will be a place where imperfect people can interact with a perfect Jesus and have their life forever changed because of his great love for them. I want to read this last part to you carefully, and it will also be the last slide. Who knows what the upcoming weeks and months will look like, but we can only hope that God will fill Clyde Irwin with failures. Why? Because God uses failures to show other failures just how much he loves them. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you, <clears throat> that you love us even when it's difficult. 
God, that you love us even when it's hard and even when we don't deserve it. God, you love. It's what you do. It's who you are. No matter how hard we run away, when we turn back around, you're standing there with arms wide open. God, I thank you for breathing purpose into lives that don't deserve it. God, I, th- I thank you for saving me. God, for putting a purpose in my life that's more than sports and that's more than uh, money. But God, that chasing you is worth, worth every moment. God, I thank you for the, the men and women here who, who carelessly and tirelessly pursue after you and, and after your people. God, thank you that you have overcome the gates of hell and that we get to participate. And Lord, I pray that Restore Church is a church that is always attacking, always charging, and always banging on the gates. God, we want Satan to know exactly where we are and exactly what we're doing as, we've, as we fight and fight and fight. And God, when we're tired, we pray that you bring reinforcements. Uh, Lord, we are just in awe of you this morning and thankful. Lord, I pray that this morning that the failures will rise and stand and, and, and fight um, for your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.